0: It's the Book and Film Globe Week in Review Podcast. I am your host, the King, Neil Pollock, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV. And Elvis, Elvis Movies. That's what today's episode is about. It's Elvis Week on the Book and Film Globe Podcast we're going to talk to Stephen Garrett about the new Baz Luhrmann Elvis biopic, which is out this week. And we're also going to talk to Jillian Garr, Book and Film Globe contributor, making her first ever appearance on the podcast. She has written about the history of Elvis movies, Elvis biopics. Jillian knows everything about Elvis, and we are very lucky to have her. But first, we're going to listen to a little Elvis. Actually, we're going to listen to some George Jones and then also a little Elvis. There'll be a lot of Elvis today. I hope you enjoy it. We will talk to you in a second. doo The king is gone and so are you Round about ten we all got to talk About Graceland, Bidrock, and such The conversation finally turned like I said, it's Elvis week here at the Book and Film Globe podcast. You know, for some people, it's always Elvis week. It has been Elvis week their entire lives. Uh, we have our resident Elvis expert, Jillian Garr, here to talk to us today. Not about the new Elvis movie. Stephen Garrett will be along to talk about that in a little bit, although she has seen the new Elvis movie, and I guess she could, she, we can certainly refer to it. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm going in about two hours from when we're talking right now. But Jillian wrote a great piece for us this week um, about the history of Elvis biopics. Elvis biopics started appearing pretty soon after Elvis died in 1977. So uh, she comprehensively wrote them up, and she's here today. Hello.
1: Hello. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. So Elvis biopics, you know, I have been alive um, as long as Elvis has been dead. (laughs) I'm in my 50s. He was alive when I was alive and um and he was dead when I was alive. And you know, I have strong memories from a child of there there being a little run of Elvis biopics in the late 70s and early 80s. So let's start talking about that. The first one through the the door was the one I remember most, which was the uh, Kurt Russell Elvis movie.
1: Right. Well, that's um that's pretty well regarded because it it's generally considered that Kurt gave a a good strong performance in that.
0: I did not remember I was surprised. Well, first of all it's a made for TV movie. I always considered it to be a theatrical movie, but it was a made for TV movie directed by by John Carpenter, who directed, you know, The Thing and Escape from New York and and They Live and lots of other, you know, famous uh, cult movies, and, but he did an Elvis biopic. And how how does the movie hold up? You know, it's which we're we're 40 plus years on from that.
1: Well, um well, first thing you said, you remembered it being a theatrical release and it was a theatrical release in some places. Uh, you know, it got such a good reception that I'm pretty sure that in Europe, certainly it was released theatrically and maybe it came out theatrically here too, but it wasn't promoted as such initially, which I was thinking about this last night after seeing the new movie a second time. I thought, why is this getting so much more attention? And then the obvious reason is that it's theatrical and. Pretty much with, I think there's one exception, all the films in my article that I write about, uh, they were all made for TV. So hence, you know, that's seen as being smaller scale. The one kind of frustrating thing I find with this movie, with the Kurt Russell Elvis, is that it stops when he returns to Vegas in 69. So you don't see the latter years. And yeah, some of these films have a harder time dealing with the latter years because, you know, they, they were so unfortunate and unpleasant. But in general, for the rest of it, I'd say, you know, it's a pretty good, solid story. And there's kind of the fun twist if you know, the trivia that one of Kurt Russell's early roles was in an Elvis movie. He was in uh, It Happened at the World's Fair, which is set at the Seattle World's Fair in 1962. It's definitely not one of the better pictures. You know, there's like one good song in the whole movie. But um, Elvis, at one point, he's He's at the World's Fair with a young child. He's somehow been coerced into looking after. See right there, that kind of sets your antenna, doesn't? Uh oh, there's a child. That's that's not a good sign. And then another child comes along, Kurt Russell, and uh, he he ends up getting in a little tussle with Elvis and kicking him in the shin. So it's kind of fun to know that he he kicks Elvis in the shin as uh, however old he was then, and then you know, a decade on, decade and a half on, here he is playing Elvis himself.
0: <laughs> this is what's so great about you, Jillian, is that you are not only an expert in Elvis biopics, but you have seen all the all the actual Elvis movies, and you wrote one of our uh, all-time most successful pieces, the six Elvis movies that, that don't, I don't remember what it was called, that don't suck, something like that. And- uh, Yeah, yeah. encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of things, Elvis. And, you know, you kind of need it in order to appreciate the nuances of the Elvis biopics. Another one you mentioned early on in your piece is one that I remember uh, also from my childhood. This is Elvis from 1981, which is kind of a uh, hybrid of a drama and also a documentary because there was, there's a lot of actual footage of Elvis in the movie.
1: Yeah, and that was a theatrical release. In fact, there's two different cuts and the extended cut is quite different from the theatrical one. But uh, anyway, I remember seeing that in the theater and I knew who Elvis was, but I didn't really pay that much attention to him. Uh I like the single Hound Dog that was the first song I really got into. So I found the film interesting cuz I really didn't know much of the basics of his story. So that was interesting. And yeah, what they do for those of you who haven't seen it, it's um it's presented as if Elvis is narrating it himself, you know. And and even I I remember reading a review where where it says this is Elvis, not this was Elvis. This is Elvis. And the reviewer said, you know, it it's like he's still alive and he's going to make an appearance in the final scene. So it takes you, it tells his whole life story, uh, but it starts when he's a child. And of course there's no film footage there. So they do these recreations and they kind of do that throughout the movie in spots where they don't have any footage. But then about, you know, the mid fifties or so when he gets on RCA, that's when you start finding more footage. And I think another important thing for people to consider is the year was 1981 and so there's no home computers, there's no YouTube, there's barely any you know, VHS units out there, or VCRs out there rather. So all these film clips you're seeing, it was exciting because at that time there really was no other way to see them unless one of the films happened to be showing on your TV set or something.
0: That's an interesting point because now, I mean, I can go – Find uh, eight different clips of Elvis doing eight different performances of "Suspicious Minds." Yeah, and, and and enjoy them. But but it's like it's not like it's some kind of revelation of memory. It's just always there.
1: Exactly. You want you want to see you read about the comeback special and think, huh? I wonder what that was really like. And yeah, you can go on and find it online easily. But they, they take you through his whole life and they show not just performance clips, but other, you know, like interview clips. It's, it, it's pretty well rounded. You know, I was, well, I watched it. I watched all of those movies, by the way, unlike some pieces I saw where people were obviously just pulling things from websites.
0: You realize what our hourly rates are, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we, we won't comment on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought it, it held up fairly well. I mean, you do have to, some of the, especially the early reenactments are a bit hokey, but you just kind of get through that and then get to the, the main heart of the story. And I remember when it aired on television, I set up the VCR to record it and there were some different performances. And I thought, oh, wow, well, this is interesting. I don't remember that being in the film. And uh, it did eventually come out as the extended cut. And now both those versions are available on DVD and they added a lot more to the extended cut. There's a bit on Elvis's Cadillac, his gold Cadillac, which they sent on tour because he wasn't touring. This is in the sixties, but then the most interesting thing in the theatrical version, they show a clip of him in the later years, uh, doing, are you lonesome tonight? And it's not a very strong performance and he gets lost in the spoken word part and just starts mumbling and cracking jokes and, barely gets through it. And uh they remove that from the extended cut and they put some other version in. Let's see what was it? was Love Me, where he's he holds it a bit more together. So evidently, you know, who knows who they may have had complaints from. You know, that's that's crossing the line. Take that one out.
0: That seems like bad, a bad edit. All right. So I wanna um I want to jump forward in time a little bit. What I find interesting about uh Elvis movies is they kind of come in, in in temporal chunks, right? There were a bunch in the late 70s, early 80s and then there was a little run of them like in, from like 1988 to 1993, there were, there were a, b- a bunch of Elvis movies. Um, what are some of the standouts from that sort of, I would guess the, the middle period of Elvis biopics, you've got Heartbreak Hotel, Elvis and Me based on the, the best selling Priscilla Presley memoir. There was a mini series in 1990 co-produced by Priscilla. Where, ha- how has that narrative changed? Uh, when, when we move forward in time
2: a little bit?
1: Well, um, you know, you mentioned Heartbreak Hotel, and uh, that, I think, was also a theatrically released. And I don't remember hearing about that at the time at all. I was doing a piece uh, for Goldmine Magazine on Elvis movies. The first part was on the movies he was actually in. And the second article was about uh, movies where he was portrayed or other maybe concert films released, etc. after his death. And that was when I first, that was when I stumbled on that film, which I think is pretty good. It's a, it's a fantasy and it's set in 72 and the plot sounds kind of goofy. In, in fact, it could be the plot of an Elvis movie. In fact, it kind of was, it's sort of, it's a it's sort of another version of harem scarum, a, a much better superior version, I hasted to add, where uh, this small town kid in Ohio kidnaps Elvis after a concert to cheer up his mother. But, you know, they they all play it straight. And um, interestingly, the mother, Tuesday Weld, was also in an Elvis movie herself, one of his better ones, Wild in the Country. But, you know, he just he kind of proves to be a super dad. She's a single mom. So it's OK that Elvis gets kidnapped. You know, he's not going to displace a married father. But, yeah, it was just kind of kind of sweet and heartwarming. You also mentioned the TV series, which... I don't know if I was even aware that was on at the time or, or maybe I did, but I barely got to watch it because it was canceled after 10 episodes. You know what
0: it was? I wasn't watching a lot of TV in the early, in in like the early nineties, you know, I was like, that was when I was like at the heart of my going out youth, you know, and there there was, and TV wasn't as like central to the culture as it is now. So i just, a lot of that stuff just kind of of passed me by, but you watched it now, the Elvis show you watched. So how, how does it hold up?
1: I think it's great. The guy who plays Elvis is uh, Michael St. Gerard, who I'd seen in Hairspray, and he's great in that too. And I know Scotty Moore thought it in one of my interviews with him, he thought it sort of exaggerated the action that they went through and the arguments.
0: Scotty Moore is Elvis's guitarist?
1: Yes, yes. He was his original guitarist. That's who he made his first uh, records with, Scotty Moore and Bill Black on bass. And then later they brought in DJ uh, Fontana on drums. And that's the group that got signed to um, RCA. They were the original power trio: uh, Scotty, Elvis, and Bill. But Scotty thought they heightened the drama too much compared to what it was in real life. But um, of course, he lived through that, so he'd have he'd definitely have his own perspective on that. And I didn't think it, you know it, it did that much. But of of course, you have to have some kind of driving narrative throughout an episode, right? Or w- what's going to carry the episode forward? But but I think it's pretty good. It just it just covers the early years. I think by the end of the series, they've finally made it to the Louisiana Hayride radio show. And it made me wonder, gee, you know, if this had gone on, if this had been picked up, who know? what would have been interesting to see those guys perform in, in the later years? How would they have done the story? I think what we see here, you know, you mentioned Priscilla co-producing, obviously, the movie based on her own book. And she co-produced this series and they were involved with the Elvis 2005 miniseries you know i think it is just this they're constantly trying to get him out there for a new generation
0: yeah no I, I think you're absolutely right um and i and i think you're also right that they tend in the movies they tend to overemphasize um young elvis i don't know, maybe it's just that I'm, I'm i'm older now but i find late stage elvis to be dramatically in some ways even more compelling cuz you know and and the music to be you know so full of pathos but you know that again that may just be me. It may just be an, an, uh, a subject of aging. The one topic that does get covered in movies about older Elvis is Elvis's weird um, late career obsession with Richard Nixon. Um, and there, there are literally two separate movies about that.
1: I know you, one is fine, but two, I, I couldn't figure that one out. <laughs> I remember see let's see, uh, a friend of mine, another film reviewer, he uh, gave me the VHS tape of Elvis meets Nixon, which was the first one. I still have that tape, by the way. And then um, a few years ago, well, I guess more than a few, maybe have it in front of you. Then they did another version called Elvis and Nixon. And that was theatrical. Gosh, I guess there were more theatrical ones, weren't there? Uh, That starred Kevin Spacey as Nixon. And that one I found pretty dull. And I I rewatched it again. And um, I, I much prefer Elvis meets Nixon, which takes a jokier... Approach to its subject. It's, it's what we call a mockumentary now. Maybe they called it that then.
0: There's no better Richard Nixon movie than Dick, though.
1: <laughs> that was, Yeah, I really like that one. I remember reviewing that.
0: I love that. I mean, they just put it up on Hulu. I watched it over the weekend. It was just so, it's so, so amusing. Anyway, but that we veer. We don't, we're not really talking about Richard Nixon here, although I'm sure we could. My, my big question for you, and I think you are the best person possible to uh, weigh in on this. Who is the best cinematic Elvis? And then I will include the new one. So you've got choice. You've got uh, Kurt Russell. You've got Austin Butler. You have David Keith. You have Jonathan Rhys-Meyers from the 2005 miniseries. Uh, Michael Shannon. I guess you could pick Michael Shannon from Elvis and Nixon. And there's a few others. Who do you think has done the best job of playing Elvis in a biopic?
1: You know, I think maybe I'd have to go with Austin Butler because he's given the most to do. He's Elvis from the mid-50s to the end, uh, right up through a 1977 performance of Unchained Melody that shows how Elvis may not have been in the best physical shape, but his voice held up. And, you know, Kurt Russell was good, like I said, but he's just, he just goes through 69. And uh, I thought David Keith made a great Elvis, but he's just set in 1972. And Jonathan, too. That show ends at the comeback special in 68, that miniseries, the 2005 one. But Austin gets to, you know, do like 20 years worth of Elvis. So he has more to work with. Well,
0: he does the full arc.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I feel like if Kurt, Rus- if Kurt Russell had been given the material to do a full Elvis arc, he could have pu- he certainly could have pulled it off. I mean, he's one of the great screen actors ever.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I mean, knowing what he's gone on to do, I think he easily could have handled it. I wonder about the dance moves, though. I know that's one thing they're they're praising Austin for his moves and how he must have worked to get that. He, I saw an
0: article where he, they, they they said he had like he in you know he talked about it, injuring himself m- multiple times trying to like get in shape to move like Elvis.
1: Well, when I was watching, I wondered what it's like to um, in the early part of the film he's at least singing himself or that's his own voice, and then in the later years he's lip syncing. Well, I mean, he's lip syncing all the way through, but in the beginning, he'd be lip syncing to his own voice, which is one thing. But then lip syncing to someone else's. I always I always wonder how actors feel about doing that or even the dance moves. You know, they're not the Elvis wasn't choreographed. Those were just the moves he did. But Austin is being choreographed. And what's what's that like to just act and try and appear natural while you're doing another person's work?
0: Well, I, I don't know because I haven't seen the movie yet. I am seeing it as we're talking in about two hours. I, I'm for one I'm really looking forward to this. I I have this has been on my calendar for quite a while. And for the those of you listening to the show, you'll be able to hear my reaction to it after this Elvis centric musical interlude. I'll be talking with Stephen Garrett about the new Baz Luhrmann movie Elvis. Jillian Gar, it's the first time you've ever been on the show. What a pleasure it has been. Let's not let's not make it too long until you appear again.
1: I agree. (laughs) I can't see my reflection in the water. I can't speak the sound that shows no pain.
0: I can't hear the echo of my footsteps. I can't remember the sound of my own name. Speaking of Elvis, Elvis the movie directed by Baz Luhrmann is in theaters now and probably for the next 15 or 16 days or so before people get tired of it. I uh, literally just returned from this movie uh, two hours ago as we're talking and uh, my teeth are still rattling from it. (laughs) And Stephen Garrett saw it as usual in France I saw it at the Alamo Lake line, uh, in Northwest Austin
2: as usual, <laughs> this is, as usual, this is the
0: pattern. Um, and, uh, now we're going to talk about it. So hello, Stephen. Hello. Hello. Let me say this Elvis directed by, <laughs> by Baz Luhrmann is not a subtle film. No, it's not a quiet film. It is not a, uh, it is not a uh, soberly directed biopic. It is a, a carnival ride to say the least. And, uh, you know, if, I, when I read your review, I was like, boy, this sounds like a mixed bag, and I, now I understand why.
2: Oh, all right. Okay, fair. I mean, look, I, and uh, that mixed bag is from somebody who actually really uh, enjoys Baz Luhrmann movies, you know? I mean, I, I nobody, he has a very singular style. I think, you know, if you really want to stick out as a filmmaker, you've got to have some sort of uh, differentiation, and he really does. His kind of weird, you know, stick it in a blender and let it spin sort of aesthetic is over I mean he's married to his production designer has been for 30 years and so and she has incredible taste if you know over the top and opulent um so th- it's a max maximalist film for sure um and it's not subtle or quiet yeah my problem is not with production design which was frequently quite gorgeous uh beautiful
0: clothes great settings um great music but it's just it's the too muchness of it all you know it's like you have Elvis singing a song while another Elvis song plays in the background, you know, like while the third yeah. song is going, you have to, there's like <laughs> like three different Elvis audio tracks and they're from different eras of Elvis and you never know which era you're in. And it, I get it. My God, stop sledgehammering me with yeah. this thing. And I felt like the moments where, he would just kind of quiet down and give us a scene between Elvis and his mother or Elvis and Priscilla or Elvis and his henchmen, or even Elvis and Colonel Parker, uh, or just focus on a musical number for more than 15 seconds. I was like, Oh, this is pretty good. Cause the, cause the opulence of the production design never, you know, never wavers.
2: Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's top notch. It's, you know, you want to, like every penny's on the screen, truly like, this is a very expensive movie, but the, it shows, it shows, you know, only, only Hollywood can, make this kind of movie with this kind of production value and maybe only somebody like Boz could actually pull it off and, and do it. It's, it's interesting. Look, biopics are boring, right? I mean, they're, they're like a tired genre. You know you're going to connect the dots of all the major milestones. And uh, I I feel like he's doing that dutifully, but he'd much rather kind of remix, you know, a rap version of, you know, uh, big mama Thornton, you know, while uh, luxuriating in like impeccable clothes and production design, you know?
1: Yeah,
0: that stuff was all, all really fun, and you know Austin Butler, who is not an actor I'm I'm familiar with, was Elvis, and he really was Elvis. I mean, what a what a fantastic performance!
2: Right? It's incredible.
0: Yeah, really incredible, and he really captures like the different eras of Elvis, and you really get the sense, you know, of um you know sort of the changing vibe, um, both in the of the times and in the, in the man, and he, he really like doesn't look exactly like elvis but i still like feel like he physically embodies it and he can dance and you know and he's got a great range of emotions and he's really good really really good and that yeah he's really good super watchable
2: do you know i i feel like okay i think in his defense i think he sidestepped the pitfalls of a biopic by making it much more of this kind of pas de deux between you know elvis who's in play as you said, miraculously, you're not, you know, we didn't say that, but you you agree that it's a pretty miraculous transformation of Austin Butler into this king of rock. Um so but it's between him and Colonel Tom Parker, who, I think, you know, it's the elephant in the room, or rather the big fat suit in the room, is the bizarre kind of incarnation that Tom Hanks decides to uh to make of this Yes. Let us let us discuss this. I mean weird. But but before we get to that, I do want to say that like um I think it's interesting. instead of just doing the straight up biopic, what he's doing is saying this is Elvis through the eyes of Colonel Tom Parker. And so in a weird way, I feel like it does give him license to skim over the highlights because Parker wasn't privy to Elvis's private moments, his quiet moments, his more humane moments. He just saw him as, you know, a ticket to ride and a mule to beat. To death you know and and a cash cow so that
0: said there are quiet moments that don't involve Colonel Tom Parker true. there is yeah for sure and Priscilla. there are scenes with him and his mother there are a Kate you know there's a scene with him and B.B. King that I really liked you know there, there's some stuff in there that where the Colonel isn't present and you know I found those to be the best parts of the movie because let's face it Tom Hanks in this movie is freaking (laughs) terrible. I mean, it is one of the worst performances I have ever seen in a movie. Yeah.
2: Yeah, It's weird. It's weird.
0: Horrible. Weird. This is bizarre. Dutch accent, but Dutch Southern accent. And he's a, he's a hideous monster to look at. And he's it's just not, it's just not a good performance. I mean, it, it just, he, you know, he doesn't, pull it off he's not believable it's 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 incredible it's the kind of thing that should get nominated for a Razzie
2: (laughs) well this could be the first movie where one actor gets nominated for an Oscar and the other gets nominated for a Razzie yeah even though they're sharing scenes together you know he brought up Amadeus as a sort of comp you know as as like this is the dynamic like so Parker who is this sort of weird troll man right or bigger than that certainly and he's looking at this you know Beautiful gold God, you know, and envious, but also you know entranced, but also mystified, but also excited at the fact that he can exploit him. you know, I do wish that that was explored in a more enticing way. I feel like it's it's just kind of presented, and we're supposed to take it as rote, and then we get a bunch of highlights through his career.
0: It's not the writing, the writing is very interesting. you know, the fact that Colonel Tom Parker believes somehow that he and Elvis are the same. Is absurd. Yeah, they're nothing. There are nothing alike. You know, Elvis was. You know, the movie makes pretty clear was a singular genius of in American history, beloved by all, yeah. pretty much, um, yeah. including the wife he cheated on relentlessly. Um, <laughs> and uh, Colonel Tom Parker was an evil, manipulative, troll, uh, liar, you know, charlatan who um, did everything he could to derail what made Elvis good. Um, and only by like the pure, the sheer power of Elvis's talent and magnetism was he able to occasionally rise above that. I mean, it may not be true, but that's what the movie says. But I, and that and that's interesting. But I just but but again, like I was like dreading the return of Tom Hanks to the scene when he ever he
2: returned. Right, right. I mean, for me, the only scene that really works in terms of showing that dynamic and also giving Austin uh, a chance to really literally performed, but also really emote as an actor is that suspicious minds scene, which I, I mentioned in the review. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I, I found that so um, harrowing in a weird way. You know, maybe harrowing is overstating it, but it is Tom Parker making the deal to, uh, you know, that five-year exclusive deal at the hotel where he has residency and signing Elvis's soul away, basically. Uh, and he's sitting there saying, I'm caught in a trap. I mean, it's a little on the nose, but I love it. No, it was good. It was good, and I
0: also, you know, I have to admit, like I kind of liked the making of the NBC special and, and the the scene where, yeah. he, the, the way they recreated his gospel protest gospel number at the end, I thought that was really yeah. really effective. Um, there were there were there were some other really like good musical set pieces. I mean, again, like it's not a terrible movie by by any stretch of the imagination. It's a it's a it's worth talking about, but it just I feel I feel like it's really hampered. By this weird performance in the,
2: <laughs> in, the, in the in the white hot molten center of it, yeah, to say the least. I know. Hey, well, so here's my question: Does anybody care? Like, no. do do your kids? Does my kid? I don't think she cares, but do you think there is an audience for this movie? Who is the
0: audience? I, you know, I was I saw it
2: uh, in a basically a suburban
0: Austin movie theater at two forty five on a Friday on basically opening day. And the theater was about half full, and I. So, yeah, there are a lot of Elvis fans out there, Stephen. I mean, we, (laughs) you know, there are a lot. You know, whenever, whenever Jillian Gar, who I talked to earlier in the show, publishes an Elvis piece, it gets quite a bit of traffic. Like there are people who live and die by the King. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is is this going to be? You know, Top Gun, Maverick numbers,
2: no, no, uh,
0: but but I but I, I think I think it's you know I think it like all Elvis stuff. It ha- it's going to have an audience. Does, my kid does not care about it. No, um, right, your right. kid does not care about it. My wife does not care about it. <laughs> you know, but you combine Elvis fans and Baz Luhrmann fans. Um, not Tom Hanks fans. I don't. I, I don't think even. A Tom <laughs> Hanks, I don't think even a Tom Hanks completist is going to be like this. This is like as bad as his performance in The Lady Killers.
2: <laughs> That's right. Another Southern gentleman, isn't it? Another Colonel.
0: It's so funny because he's he's such a great actor, but sometimes when Tom Hanks serves up a turkey, <laughs> he does it with all the trimmings, <laughs> all the trimmings. Yeah, there was th- this one, The Lady Killers, and and you know some would argue Cloud Atlas. Uh, there's certainly right. there's certainly some uh, horrific. Hey, man,
2: I think Cloud Atlas. I mean, I, I'm not a fan. What a mess! But at the same time, I admire all the folly of it, and I admire that everybody's willing to take that big leap, and that Tom Hanks did what he did. Not as bad as it could have been. Uh, and either
0: was Elvis as bad as it could. I just wonder, like, what would have happened if somehow someone had been able to tamp down Tom Hanks's ego or performance, or dr- even directed him for five seconds in this or or if they just cast someone who was like authentically fat and, and gross, uh, you know, and, yeah. and, and Colonel, or even a Dutch actor, you know, it's like someone. Then this thing could have really had um, the dramatic heft it deserves. So no, do I think it's going to? To answer your question, it's not going to be a hit, but it will. It will carry on in the hearts and minds of the fans. I
2: think. I think, I think that's the thing. I think what's wonderful, and I think what what Baz really does capture in a very sincere way, and I think that's all he really cares about is this sort of, you know, keeping the flame of what Elvis really meant to people and capturing that electricity that uh, Elvis kind of uh, created on stage. Like, that is, Austin Butler's performances are just like, wow. And the way that Bob Schultz shoots it, it is kind of frenetic, but I feel like it's also proper in a weird way. Yeah. But I, feel,
0: but I feel like what, what the movie does best Elvis wise, I mean, you know, the early part of Elvis's career, I think is pretty well documented. I think it gives some um, credence to the later to the Vegas years. I think yeah. it gives some art. You know, it, it gives artistic credit to them and to him, especially at the beginning before he kind of got all bloated and, you know, messed up. And, you know, it really, really uh, showcases that as as music. Um, as opposed to as um, a circus. Um, That's kind of my personal favorite Elvis era anyway.
2: Well, and I always feel like Baz Luhrmann movies are like cliff notes of whatever the source material is, like really, really beautifully embellished, gaudy, glamorous, sparkling cliff notes. Like they're pretty superficial. They don't really get the story in a way that's really affecting or convincing. Like, is Romeo and Juliet, you know, Moulin Rouge and Great Gatsby, especially because those are all based on source material that's already out there. And I think he's leaning heavy on people bringing their own emotions and commitment and uh, kind of their love of that material to what he's doing. So basically, he's kind of like, let's just celebrate. You know, it's like a dude throwing confetti in the air. That's what this movie is. And it's very sparkly and it's very fun and it's kind of exhausting and empty. But there are some really affecting moments, and frankly, I think he does. I, I think he does do justice to the music because uh, it certainly reminded me how incredible some of that music that he did was. Yeah, and and maybe that's the thing. I think for your kids or mine, if they ever get around to watching this, or if it gets sliced up and put on TikTok because it's so bizarre and weird in its own way, maybe they'll be turned on to it the way that they turn turned on to Kate Bush suddenly because they watch Stranger Things. Maybe, maybe, but. Um... <laughs> unlike uh you know, well like stranger things this
0: movie is like getting hit in the face with a sledgehammer over and over again that's <laughs> <laughs> what kids are enjoying then yeah elvis is gonna be a big smash for them i, I agree with you i think the soundtrack is fabulous well i mean you, how could you mess it up and they and he doesn't he doesn't to be fair and he even any he, he even enhances it a bit oh, there's even a great little richard musical number which is kind of fun it's great so yeah, yeah real really really entertaining and i'm like wow oh, he looks a lot like prince Um, and, uh, really fun, really fun. So, um, you know, Elvis, not a disaster. Tom Hanks is a disaster. Steven, (laughs) you and I were just two lonely little film critics wandering in the wilderness, looking, looking for love in all the wrong places. I,
2: (laughs) I don't know. Uh, You know, the unchained melody of his story continues, goes on. All right, I, I wish I could come up with a better tag than that. But uh, I wish I could come up with a better tag than that. That kind of sucked. But that ending, though, I did you like that ending? The Unchained Melody, that weird montage.
0: Love the that ending. Was really beautiful. Love the ending. It and I was, I, I wasn't crying because you know, no men don't cry no. in <laughs> movies, but it was, it was quite affecting. And um, you know, his, his truth is marching on, Stephen. There you go. Oh, that's right. And then, in fact, we're gonna cut it there. We're going to cut it there, and then I actually have that, that music playing in the background. There
2: you go. That's the editor-in-chief. Oh.
0: All right. Thanks, Stephen. Elvis is now in theaters and will be in theaters for a couple of weeks at least. And then it will be on your TV shortly. Be sure to check it out. Thanks also to Jillian Gar for talking to me about the history of Elvis biopics, mostly available on YouTube at this point. Maybe some other obscure the apps on your TV if you can find them. I'm Neil Pollack. I'm the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe. This is the Book and Film Globe podcast, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and so much more. We will be back next week with some non Elvis content. Take care of yourselves. I'll talk to you soon. So a little known autobiographical fact about me, and this is true. uh, I was born in memphis tennessee and we lived i guess in the neighborhood of graceland because i have distinct memories as a toddler of my mom taking me to watch elvis ride his horse down the street the king was riding the horse and people were lined up along the street taking photos that's crazy so you know i'm sort of naturally drawn to Elvis. I feel like in some ways I'm part of his story, Stephen. I'm a little disappointed. Well, I distinctly remember T- Colonel Tom Parker coming up to me in my in my stroller saying, "You and I are um um two babies in strollers watching a god on his horse."
2: They cut the scene of you as a baby with him trotting past you. Yeah.
1: Original production
0: most podcasts are awful ah. most news is noise. <laughs> What you need in your ears is real news. Narrated. You need Audio Hopper. Human narrations of the most compelling news, culture, and entertainment stories. You choose the topics and the publications. Audio Hopper gives you a commercial-free straight read of the story. Read by real voice actors, not annoying computer voice
2: simulators. Get a variety of points of view and real news. Audio Hopper. Real news narrated. In the App Store.